Greetings from Bethel Church in Edgemont, South Dakota. Thanks for joining us today. I am Pastor Brad, and on behalf of Pastor Nancy, Bethel Church, and myself, we're glad that you are here. We hope that the message today is an inspiration for you. We hope that God's Word speaks to you. We hope that the Holy Spirit moves within you and that you are changed. Get ready. This is going to be good. Come on. So as you can see, the title of our message today is Conversations with the Devil, and that's kind of a, a message that I'm thinking that some of you, that's almost an uncomfortable thought. So we like to think that, you know what, I'm, I'm holy and I, and I follow God and I'm with Jesus and therefore I don't have those conversations. I mean, I think that myself. And then as I was sitting through worship today, something just spoke to me and I, and I had to ask reflect a little bit on a conversation I just had yesterday. So Nancy and I were leaving our amazing weekend that we spent in the Lee Deadwood area and we're cruising down the hill and I take a look at my phone real quick and I see a message from an athletic director in Belfouche that says, hey Brad, just wondering where your volleyball team was. So to make the story really short, I had sent out an email earlier in the week telling him that we weren't going to be able to make it. But instead, I had replied to somebody who I had shared it with, and he never got the message. And I began to have that conversation with the devil, the conversation that says, you know what, you're not good enough. You failed once again. See, this is proof that you're just not equipped to handle this position. Because you see, we have those conversations sometimes, those conversations where the enemy tries to beat us down, and the enemy tries to tear us apart, and the enemy tries to pull us away from our calling. And really in every believer's life, there's conversations that happen with the devil. So today's message, there's parts of it that, that can be quite heavy, but there's also parts of it that remind us who we truly are in Jesus. So I want you to think about it for a moment. When I say that we all have conversations with the devil, I want you to think about for a moment. Think back to moments when you've contemplated doing something that you shouldn't do. And we, we, we call that word sin, right? Those things that we know we're not supposed to do, yet we, we do them anyway. We could spend an entire message today just listing those things that are sins. I could go out and I could have you call them out and be like, I do this, I do this. I mean, that would be the start of revival in and of itself, right? Publicly declaring to everybody, this is where I have sinned. But we, we don't have time to do that today, but... You know, we all possibly could go through two and we could think about the times that we were tempted and we fought that temptation. We could give ourselves a little gold star on the wall saying, yes, there's a time. And we could count them up and we could go through all of those moments and we could celebrate in that fact. And we should celebrate when we overcome temptation. But since we don't have time today to visit all those sins, I want to talk about how the devil plays a part in everybody's life. And how even for the believer, if we're not careful, we find ourselves tempted by sin. We find ourselves in this conversation with the devil. So I want to take a moment and look at what are known as the seven deadly sins. Anybody ever heard of the seven deadly sins? You may have heard of them and thought to yourself, why are these considered the seven deadly sins? Well, they're called the deadly sins because they're actually fatal to our spiritual progress. I mean, they keep us from our relationship with God. And I want to start with an example that I believe is more common in our society than we want to admit. Now, I was sharing this with Pastor Nancy last night, and her eyes got kind of big. Like that look like, Pastor Brad, where are you going here? 
Um, because in fact, some may argue that this topic is too taboo to talk about on the Sunday morning. So the first of the seven deadly sins is the sin of lust. Okay, and we can think about that in a lot of different ways, but I want to look at the way the culture might look at it, which is that word known as adultery. And then I want to talk about it in a different aspect as well. So I was thinking about this a little bit, and if you go to like a law dictionary, basically this means there's a physical act outside of marriage, right? I won't go into the details there, but according to this way of reasoning, if we think about it with having that type of relationship with somebody else, it doesn't count as adultery. And we're like, okay, I'm good. So as a society, we have this conversation with the devil that tells us if we're not in a physical act with somebody, then it's not an affair. Okay, and I'm going to I'm going to share a couple types of affairs that actually happen. And number one would be in an emotional affair. It's where society and the devil tells us it's not adultery, but we go out and we get our emotional needs met because we're having a tough time. Okay, we go out and we talk to somebody else. We share our innermost feelings. And pretty soon what we find out is this wall is built up that's impossible to overcome. Okay, and then I'm going to take this a different direction. Um, Pastor Keith actually pulled in Pastor Nancy one time, and she gets mad at me when I do this. But he said, uh, is Pastor Brad aware that you're having an affair? And as your eyes get huge, let me clarify what this means. She said, Nancy, he said to her, Nancy, I believe you're actually having an affair with the ministry. Because you are so consumed about your everyday life in the ministry that it consumes your thoughts, it consumes every waking hour. And therefore, that's where the direction it goes. See, we can have an affair with our work. We can have an affair with our hobbies. We can have an affair with social media. Whatever it is that's causing all of our attention and taking our attention away from where it should be with our loved ones and our relationship with God. Okay, that one seems a little bit extreme, and I start with that one for a purpose, but what about the other ones? The next one would be that idea of pride. Now, if we think about pride, that's excessive belief in one's own abilities. And we might rationalize that and say, well, that's not me. Because, I mean, I beat myself up every morning. I know that I don't have this pride and I'm not egotistical and arrogant. But see, pride interferes with a person's recognition of, of the grace of God. See, pride is telling us that it's the sin which all others arise. And pride tells us and the devil tells us that we can handle the storms of life on our own. I don't need anybody else's help. God, I got this on my own. I don't need you to take over right now. I can do this. Pride is one of the deadly sins because pride keeps us from realizing that we can't really do things on our own. The third one, envy. See, this is a desire for other people's traits, their status, their abilities, or their situation. That conversation that we have, that the devil has with us that says, I wish I was more like that person. I wish I had the things that that person had. I wish I had the courage to do what that person has done. And the enemy tells us that we're not good enough, right? I wish I was just a little bit more organized and I wouldn't have this problem. And then he helps us twist our thinking so that we believe what he's saying, right? He, he helps us come up with examples that make us realize that I'm not like that person. I'm not good enough. If only I was like somebody else, life would be so much easier. Life would be so much better. See, envy is difficult because envy takes us away from who God created us to be, which is a perfect person in his image. Number four, gluttony. 
Now, I thought about, when I was thinking about this one, I thought about there was a movie that talked about the seven deadly sins and they took a guy and they made him eat like cases and cases of SpaghettiOs, right? Gluttony, and when we think about gluttony, we think about that as overeating, right? But really, gluttony is the desire to consume more than one which, which one requires. But we're not just talking about food when we talk about gluttony because, see, we are a society of consumers, We consume and we consume and we consume. And the enemy tells us that if we just buy something else or we possess something else or we just eat that piece of chocolate cake, then we're going to feel happier. But what actually happens in this is we're left chasing happiness when in reality we're we're further from happiness the more that we consume. Anybody ever have to move out of a house before and you look at all the things that you've purchased and the things that you need to throw away, those things that you absolutely had to have? Okay, number five, anger. Now, this is a difficult one, and I heard a few moans from some of you because I think this is one that we all truly struggle with. The anger is also known as, as wrath, and it's manifested in the individual who rejects love and, in, and opts instead for fury. So, somebody, so if we are angry at somebody else, we are rejecting the love that we are called to feel for them, and instead that feeling is overrun with fury. Has the devil ever talked to you and justified you and said, hey, you know what, it's okay to be angry because you were wronged? Maybe, maybe the devil has talked to you and said, well, even Jesus got angry at times, right? Think about the time in the temple when he upturned and overturned the tables because he was angry. And we say, well, if Jesus could do it, then so can I. It must be okay for me to be mad. Don't some people deserve our anger? See, that's the question that the devil may ask us. Now, I would argue that it's okay to be an emotional being and it's okay to be upset, but when that anger overrides our ability to love someone for who they were created to be, then it becomes a problem. Number six is greed. You know, this is a lot like one that we've talked about so far, but greed is the desire for material wealth or gain, ignoring the realm of the spiritual. Okay, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about these prestigious spiritual leaders, right? The, the YouTube pastors, the pastors that are on every social media avenue you can, the pastors that you can go on a podcast and you can listen to them on the way to work. And I started to think about how successful they are because everybody knows them. Obviously, they have money. And I started to think, wow, I wish I could be more like them. So envy coming back up again. Okay, I'm not saying that all of these people are greedy, but what I'm saying is if we're not careful, we associate their wealth and their gain with success, and then it can override our direction that we're supposed to go in life. See, the enemy then can take our, our thinking, he can twist our thinking to make us believe this pursuit is justified. Okay, maybe it's not the devil doesn't use those type of people in your life, but I, but I would assume and I'm nearly certain that the concept of greed can be found in our hearts if we don't remain vigilant to avoid it. Okay, I just want more. And the last one, anybody know what it is? Sloth. Number seven is sloth. It's the avoidance of physical or spiritual work. Now, we can all admit that we're lazy sometimes. Anybody ever have a lazy afternoon? Okay, we even actually sometimes wear it as like a badge of honor. We say, well, you know what? I worked so hard this week. I'm just going to take a lazy day today. And I don't think there's anything wrong with resting. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to take a day of rest. But what about that last statement, the last part of the definition, spiritual work, right? The avoidance of spiritual work. 
If we're not continually working on ourselves spiritually, then we're guilty of that sin known as sloth. And the devil uses those moments to tempt us away from God's glory. It's those moments that we forget who we are as Christians, that we we don't want to do the work because we're just too tired. So now as we go all through all of these things, maybe you haven't had all of these conversations with the devil, but I'd be willing to bet that a few of them have come up in your lives. You know, maybe it's not all seven, but we have the conversations. We've had the conversations and we continue to have those conversations with the devil. So I want to tell you today that many of those conversations were conversations that you've lost. Okay, and you will continue to lose those conversations each and every time. And what is the result? You end up indulging in something that spiritually, physically, um, or emotionally harms you in some way. If you think back on some of those conversations, think about those conversations that you've had with the devil. Maybe he's told you you aren't good enough, or that you need this thing, or that you don't need this thing, or you don't need to do the work. Is that really the way that God would have guided you in that moment? Okay, of course not. They were conversations that you engage with the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy you and everything that you love. See, we love God, right? I, I hope that we would, could openly declare that we love God, and I hope that we know that God truly loves us as well. So the devil's going to do everything he can do to drive a wedge between us and that love. Okay, he can do anything that he can possibly. That's the epitome of sin, right? The driving of a spiritual wedge between a sinful man who wishes to be perfect and holy. Okay, we all engage in conversations with the devil. So today in part one of this two-part message, I want us to take a look at a time when Jesus had a conversation with the devil. And I want to go to the book of, book of Luke, chapter 22, 31 through 34. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. It goes on to say, but he, and this he is, is Peter, But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Okay, okay. here we are at the moment just before Peter's denial of Jesus. See, Jesus' rest is getting closer, right? His, His conviction is getting closer and his death is imminent at this point. And we come to verse 34 in that where it says this, The rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. See, these were Jesus' words directly to Peter. Can you imagine sitting there with Jesus having this conversation? It must have been very difficult for Peter to hear that, that Jesus was calling him out. Have you ever put your own name in Scripture before? As you're reading through, after all, you know, Scripture was actually written for you. So I'm going to put a slide up here that has a blank in it. And we know that in Scripture that Peter's name was in the blank, but I want you to put your name in this blank. Pastor Brad, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus is talking to Peter, but he's also talking to us in this Scripture. He knows that times are going to come that we're going to deny him. See, when you put your name in the blank, Jesus knows us. He speaks to us just like he spoke to Peter. 
And Jesus reveals something to Peter that is eye-opening and must serve as a warning to each of us who knows Jesus as our Savior. See, most people think, you know what, I'm a Christian, I have Christian friends, I follow my Christian faith, and therefore the devil's not going to attack me. See, the devil's going to attack the dark side of the streets in our cities and our towns. See, the devil's going to attack those places where drug dealers and prostitutes hang out, those places where non-believers spend their days in pursuits of worldly endeavors. That's where the devil's going to go. But what we fail to realize is that Satan is at work in God's house more than he is in the streets. Satan is work in this house more than he is in the streets. His desire is to do his dirty deeds in the church fellowship among those considered reliable and important. That would be you. Okay, The devil has already done his work on those who live in the world. So why would he waste his time on those that are already committed to him? And here's the reason. He wants more than anything to keep people from hearing the life-changing message of the Savior. So he focuses attention on those who know Jesus and those who serve Jesus. That would be you. Okay, the devil has already done that work in the world. He doesn't need to go there anymore. He wants more than anything to keep other people from hearing that good message. If he can get the believer to fail, he knows that fewer people will open up to hear what we have to say about Jesus. If he can just convince you that you're not good enough, that you're not equipped to do the work, then he's won. As I was driving down the road and I had just gone through that message yesterday and the car fell silent and Nancy's saying, what can I do for you? And I'm like, nothing. See, the devil was trying to convince me that I needed to go in a different direction, that I wasn't good enough to do what I was doing. So what, what does the enemy do? He slips in among the disciples and attempts to go after the ones who can cause the greatest damage to his kingdom of darkness. So who are they? They're the ones who stand on the truth of the Word of God, the ones who believe and the ones who heals, saves, delivers, and brings freedom to the captive. See, those are the people who stand, the people who stand in the middle of the storm, the people that stand in the middle of chaos, the people that stand in the middle of the wreckage. That's who the enemy pursues. Those are the ones that are a threat to the devil. So those are the ones that get his full and undivided attention. If you're a believer, the devil has his eyes on you. So maybe you've made a decision, I'm going to get closer with Jesus, I'm going to get closer to God, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to go to more small groups, I'm going to be actively involved in the church. And what you're going to find out is the devil is going to pursue you with relentless passion. Okay? Jesus knew this, and that's why he said these things to Peter as well. Jesus revealed to Peter his conversation with the devil. See, Jesus, or Satan had asked Jesus to sift him as wheat, and Peter responds by puffing out his chest, and claiming that he's willing to die for the cause of Christ. I got this, Jesus. I'm going to go with you. I, I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to go to the tomb for you. See, he was guilty of that sin known as pride. And in that moment, Peter reveals how foolish Christians are at the times. But realistically, Peter re reveals how foolish Christians are going to be for years afterwards. Be sure of this, Satan is relentless in his efforts to keep the church fooling around with things that don't matter while the rest of the world goes to hell. Okay, He's going to bring division in the church and cause us to be broken and ineffective. He's going to do these things. He's going to cause arguments in the church. 
He's going to cause tension and stress and frustration and temptation. See, Satan can use any and all of them to divert where our focus should be. Think about the last time that you were angry at somebody. The last time that you were filled with stress. The last time you were tempted to go in the direction that the enemy wanted you to go. My guess is your focus wasn't on Jesus and the kingdom at that moment. So today I want to give you two insights from this passage of Scripture, Luke 22, 31 through 34. So here's insight number one. Number one is Satan has a plan. Okay, when Jesus addresses Peter, he calls him Simon in verse 31. Now, this is interesting because Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter early in his ministry. Earlier, back in in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, 17, and 18, we hear this. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I'm going to ask you for a moment to fill in the blank. In this scripture, take the word Peter out and put your own name in. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And at that moment, that's when Jesus changed his name. See, when it comes to this passage in Luke, Jesus reverts back to Simon, though. And you see, Simon was his original name, and I believe the reason Jesus did this is because he was reminding him that he had been changed and that the devil knew who he used to be. See, the devil remembers who you used to be, and he's going to use that, and he's going to use it against you. See, Simon, when he met Jesus, Simon was an arrogant fisherman, Peter was the rock in which the church would be built. See, at one time in your life, you were lost and all alone in the wilderness, but God reminded you that you were loved. See, Simon was disastrous with no foundation, but Peter was a rock with a firm foundation. There was a time that you wandered without purpose, but God reminded you that He is the truth, He is the way, and He is the light. See, what you used to be, you're no longer through Christ, but the devil will use your past to bring about those things that will destroy your future. See, he knows your weakness, your bad habits, and the tendencies from your past. The devil knew me before I was saved. He knew me before I was called to be a shepherd of this church, and Jesus saved me and gave me a new name, but the devil knows my old one. The devil knows us all too well. Jesus told Simon that Satan had asked to sift him as wheat. And what sifting of wheat is really is it demanded you take the wheat grain and you shake it to loosen the cover from the kernel. See, Satan wanted to shake Peter so violently violently that he could remove Peter's faith and leave only the world behind. Satan shakes you to take away your faith and leave the world in your life as well. See, Jesus shakes you to take away the world though and leave faith in your life. See, Simon didn't, still didn't understand, though. He became arrogant and worldly, and he was rebuked by Jesus. See, the plan of the devil is to disorient you and to disarm you and to disable you, to tell you that you're not good enough. No way could God ever use you in this world. He knows how to attack you, so don't get caught up bragging about what you will do in temptation, temptation or under the threat of your faith. Don't be like Peter 
and let pride get in the way. So there was a poll by the, by the Gallup organization that said 89% of Americans believe in God. I read that and I thought, that's pretty good. That's, that's exciting. That's, that, that gives promise. But then you go on to say that only 61% of those people actually believe in the devil. So the question is, I mean, it's kind of scary. How scary is it that 28% of Americans don't even know what they should be watching out for? 28% of Americans believe in God, but yet are completely unaware that the enemy is plotting his attack. So if we're not aware of the enemy, but we're aware of God, how can we avoid the enemy and know which direction we're supposed to go? A gentleman by the name of E.J. Daniels preached a message once called, If I Were the Devil. And the one point that he made was this, if I were the devil, I would seek to convince you that I didn't exist. Think about that for a moment. If I were the devil, I would seek to convince you that I don't exist. If you don't think that the enemy exists, therefore you don't realize where the struggle is coming from. So that quote reminded me of the day that, remember when Pastor Pete and his family came down and they, they joined with us? in our worship time and in our message. Well, they came out to our house that day and they had a dinner. And then I went outside with Pete and his little girl and we were run, walking around looking at the horses and the cows and the chickens. And his daughter began to run. And as she began to run, she wasn't aware that there's a giant gopher hole in the middle of our yard and she hit it perfectly and she fell flat on her face. See, when we don't know what's going to make us stumble, we're going to fail to be prepared. The devil is mentioned 29 times in the Gospels, and 24 of those times it's Jesus who is either speaking to him or about him. So Jesus dealt with the devil. So what makes us think that we won't? See, Satan has a plan, right? Satan has a plan, and his plan is to attack us. Insight number two, here it is. We all have a purpose. See, Jesus told Peter he was going to fail, but he also said in verse 32, he said this, after you have returned... So this is after he has failed. After you have returned, strengthen the brethren. Strengthen your brothers and sisters. Strengthen the other people around you. See, this is so vitally important. Peter suffered in his failing, and he did deny Jesus three times. And he ran off into the woods. Now, I imagine that when he ran off into the woods, he had to have some pretty powerful and convicting conversations with God. Right? Ever have that time alone after you've done something and God starts to speak to you. Okay, but I want to remind you of something though. The pain of failure is not the judgment of God. See, it's from your own heart and knowing that you've given up those vulnerable places in your heart to the devil. See, God doesn't remind you of your failure. It's your own heart that reminds you of that. But you have to remember the conversations that's taking place is with the devil. It's not with God. See, the reminder is in the conversation. We, we, we remember when we did this or we did that. We remember how we failed. We remember, though, that conversations we had with the devil that says, does God really want to use you? We hear the question, do you really think you are worth it? Wouldn't it be better if you stopped listening to God and just lived your own life? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that there's times that we look at our faith and our faith isn't as strong as we wish it would be. And we say, maybe it would just be easier to go back to my old life. Of all the people that Jesus could have chosen to preach the first New Testament sermon to, 
He chose Simon Peter. He chose the one that had denied him. And why did he do this? Well, Satan sifted Peter and thought he had removed him from God's work. But Jesus chose Peter to preach the sermon at Pentecost as a slap in the face to the devil. He said, I'm going to use Peter, my rock, to bring thousands into the kingdom. See, yes, Peter sometimes acts like Simon, but he's actually redeemed, and you can't stop those who I have redeemed. Isn't that a great promise? The Peter sometimes acts like Simon, but God still has a plan for his life. Peter failed because he wouldn't admit his weakness. He failed because he wouldn't admit his weakness. But God, after the sifting was finished, sifted him again and used him for his glory. So I want to close this message with just one word. And obviously, I'm not known for just one word, but the word is testimony. And I want you to think about that that word, the word testimony for a moment. A testimony is basically a spiritual witness given by the Holy Spirit of gospel truths that comes through his quiet influence. See, whether you share your testimony often or you don't share it at all, whether you share it in public or you keep it to yourself, you all know when you have a testimony. Okay, For some of you, you once were headed down this path of self-destruction. You were lost without guidance and purpose. Maybe you were a young child. Maybe you were an adult. But the truth remains that sometime in your life, the Holy Spirit came upon you and you were saved. See, that's your testimony. And if you have a testimony, you have a gift. And that gift is a gift from God, a gift that saved you, a gift that can be used for His purpose to further His kingdom. Now, some of you may be thinking about that, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, I am still headed down that path. Maybe you're still lost without guidance or evidence or purpose. What we need to do is we need to allow God to sift the remnants of this world from you. Allow Him to break your outer shell and reveal the fruits that you've been given. Allow Him to transform your life into a life that's worth living. See, we all have conversations with the devil, but if we come to those conversations prepared, if we, if we think about them ahead of time, then we can be like Peter. We can be transformed from Simon to Peter. And then we have this amazing ability to save others from the clutches of the enemy. We have this ability to save other people from falling down that path. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your glorious presence today. We thank you for the word that you gave Katie. We thank you for the speaking that you put on her heart, Lord. We ask, though, as Lord, as we continue through this, this series, through, as we continue through our day, that we're reminded what worship is all about, Lord, that we're reminded that worship is spending time with you. Worship is not listening to Christian music as we drive in our car, Lord, but worship is about giving all the glory to you, God. So as we go about our days, as we do our work and our family and all those things in our lives that can sometimes cloud our vision of you, Lord, We ask that you shine bright in our lives, Lord, that you call us to your calling, that you remember, Lord, that you remind us, Lord, that we once were Simon, but now we're Peter. Allow us to fill in the blank in your word so that we may hear that we truly are the rock and the foundation in which your kingdom will be built, Lord. We give all glory and all praise to you, Lord Jesus. We ask your blessing upon this day. We ask your blessing upon our conversations following church, Lord. 
We, we praise Your holy name. And all this we say, Amen.